You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. It's good to see all of you here today. I want to announce to the River Church that this is the largest crowd we've ever had here at the River since we've been here in three years. There's been a few more come in since we last counted, but at last count there were 209 people here today. Praise God. So that's a good thing. We're happy about that. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, everybody say, but God. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's a cool thing to say. You're talking about somebody's life. I'm going to read on. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Father, we thank you for the word of God today. We thank you for your power to save. We thank you for your power to reveal to us the truth. And I'm asking now in Jesus' name that you will show us what we need to know here in this place today. Thank you that there's love for losers Thank you that there's justification for jerks and victory for villains. You said when we were weak, yet without strength, Christ died for us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want to talk to you about those three things we just prayed about. Love for losers, justification for jerks, and victory for villains. First thing is found in verse 8. Did you notice verse 8? He said, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. That's verse 7. Then verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were losers, and Christ died for us. Now the implication is that he died and rose again. His death alone would not satisfy. His death alone would take away our sin for everything we had done. But if he was not alive today, mediating your sin, mediating his own blood, I should say, you would have nothing to attach your faith to because it would all be in the past. Faith is not the substance of things that's past. Faith is the substance of things out in front of you. So Jesus had to rise from, from the dead to enforce the victory he won in hell and at the cross. When he rose from the dead, praise God, he made it possible for us to merely believe, merely exercise our faith 
And that would empower us to live like him in the earth. Praise God. And to escape eternal judgment. This is a God who loves people. In the gospel, the resurrection really means there's love for losers, sinners. General George Patton famously remarked, Americans love a winner. America will not tolerate a loser. And that's true. That's true. Some people think the last, the last Trump that shall sound will be Donald Trump. Because <laughs> they think he's a winner. Vince Lombardi said, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. <laughs> hey, it's good to be an OU fan today and not a Kansas fan. I know the rest of you are Texans, so I'm, I'm not going to even address you. <laughs> but there's love for losers in the gospel. Amen. The resurrection means that God loves you just like you are. Means he has love for you. He didn't raise Jesus from the dead for Jesus' sake. He raised Jesus from the dead for our sake. Jesus did all he did for our sake. He wasn't doing this for his own good. To make us know who he was. He did it so he could save us. Amen. Everything he did, he did. His death, his burial, his resurrection was all for us. The gospel says Christ died for our sins. And he was buried for our sins. And he rose again the third day for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ be not raised and you're yet in your sins, and your faith is vain. You hear that? His resurrection forgives you just as much as His death does. His resurrection forgives you just like His death does. I said His resurrection forgives you just like His death does. It's all part of the same package. It all works together. But we knew this was coming because we read the Old Testament. Well, in fact, in the New Testament there's plenty of it too. Like, Noah got drunk. <laughs> Abraham lied about his wife. Twice. Isaac lied about his wife. Sarah laughed at God. Moses murdered an Egyptian. Rahab was a harlot. Gideon was full of fear. Jephthah made a foolish vow. Samson had serious problems with lust and anger. Eli failed as a father. David committed adultery. Solomon married foreign wives who turned his heart toward idolatry. Elijah struggled with depression. Jonah ran away from God. Peter compromised the gospel. Barnabas played the hypocrite. James and John wanted to be the top dogs of the kingdom. <laughs> but they're all in the book as heroes. They're all in the book as heroes. How do they get in the book as heroes? Because there's love for losers. Yeah. Amen. There's still love for losers. I don't care how loser you are, how much of a loser you are. You got the L up here, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's the other hand, isn't it? That's a J, I guess. Maybe you're just a jerk, I don't know. There's love for losers. I, I tell a story I, I saw on television one time years ago about a boy named Mackenzie Phillips from Springdale, Arkansas. Mackenzie was a football player his dad had been a coach, and he may have been a coach at the time. Coach Phillips, they called him. McKenzie was a senior and getting ready to go to Arkansas University and play football like his dad had. And on the football field, he dropped dead. Big old good-looking kid, stout kid, just fell over dead. 
They couldn't get his heart to start beating again. They worked at it. They worked at it. Worked at it. Kept him on the football field nearly 18 minutes, I think they said. Something like that. Two shots of adrenaline straight to his heart, and he wouldn't wake up. They got the paddles out. Clear! <laughs> Nothing. Did that four or five times. Could not get this boy to defibrillate. Finally, they loaded him up in the ambulance and hauled him down to the hospital, which was just a mile away from the football stadium. Anybody know where Springdale, Arkansas is? Haul him down there. They took him in the, in the emergency room, and they're working on him, working on him, working on him, working on him, working on him. Feverishly working on him. 20 minutes have passed, 22 minutes. It gets dangerous about that time, you know, like he's never coming back, and if he does, he won't be there. Finally, they all stopped, and the monitor flatlined. Doctors were stunned that this beautiful, healthy kid had just died. But his mama walked over to him, picked up his hand, leaned down into his face, and said, Mackenzie Phillips, this is your mama. I love you, son. I know you can make it. In the emergency room, doctor that I heard tell the story, said the next sound I heard was blip, 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 as his heart came roaring back to life. When nothing else will work to fix your problem, love will fix you. The love of God is here to save you to the uttermost because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took away the reproach that was on every man. And now he says, I know you feel like you've lost too badly. I know you feel like you're too big a loser. And all your failures are your own fault. I know we all feel that way. How could God love me because of all the flops I've made in my life? He loves losers. I can't, I can't explain it. He just loves losers. Because when God loves a loser, and that loser turns into something, it shows that he really did it all himself. All of your successes. How many of you have been saved by grace through faith? Then you know this. You know that the, the successes you have in your life are not because of you. The successes you have in your life are because of a good God who loves you just like you are. God loves losers and the resurrection says so. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God. Now, I love that definition. Herein is love, not that we loved God. You cannot define love by how much you love God. Right. You can only define love by how much God loves you. Yes. Love is best defined by God, yes. not by us. Amen. But that He loved us and sent, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Next thing is in verse 9. I want to read it to you. Verse 9 has a marvelous thought. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's verse 8. Then verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So we justification for jerks. 
Justification for jerks. There's some people I know that I don't think deserve heaven. They're mostly in my wife's family, but... But I don't get to say whether they get to go or not. <laughs> Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't look so religious. You have in-laws. Justification for jerks. God finds a way to say it. I was uh, working for the Santa Fe Railroad years ago. I was raised over there on the railroad, Santa Fe. Got a job out of Gainesville, Texas, riding trains. Sometimes I didn't ride the train so much, I just worked in the yard, and we ran the switch engine to build trains. I could do both things in my, my, with my seniority. But there was a guy there in that, that worked for me, that worked on the railroad with me, named Danny Blagg. Danny Blagg was the toughest man I ever met. I'd met some tough guys being raised on a farm in a rough little town called Thackerville, Oklahoma, <laughs> where you either went, to, went into, the, into the ministry or went to prison. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Thank God I chose right. <laughs> but uh, Danny was a tough character. Loved to fight. Oh, he loved to fight. He was big. He was bad. Had a gravity voice like this. This is the way he talked. Uh, like he'd been wrestling, you know, or something, and they chopped him in the throat or something. <laughs> and I witnessed almost everybody I ever worked with, just about everybody. I could not let it go without talking to them a little bit about Jesus, trying to get them to think about the Lord, get them in church, get them saved, and won several guys to the Lord through that. Just witnessing, just telling them. You know, your friends want to hear from, Je from you about Jesus. Yeah. They don't know they do. <laughs> So that they're going to act like they don't. But deep in their hearts, they'd really like for somebody to lead them to Christ. They really would. And I'm sitting with him one day. I had never witnessed to him because I was afraid of him. You would be too if you saw him. And knew his reputation. Some of you might not, but Jason might not, but some of us would. And anyway... Uh, I uh, sat with him one night. We're having our dinner in the middle of the night. We're on a night shift. And he said, John! Oh. <laughs> yeah, Danny. You speak in tongues. Oh, God, I thought, oh, here, I'm giving my life for the gospel right here. <laughs> right here, it's over for me. I said, you know, I had about a thousand thoughts in two seconds. You know what I mean? I'm sitting there chewing, thinking, trying to make that chew last long enough to, as an excuse not to talk. <laughs> Life flashing before my eyes. Finally, I swallowed and I said, Yes. I did. I, I remember wincing. I said, Yes. He said, Well, I don't know. And I thought his next words were going to be to, whether to kill you slowly or make it quick. But he said, I don't know what that Holy Ghost is, 
or whatever it is, I want it. <laughs> what? Are you saved? He said, yeah, I just got saved. I said, Dad, that's awesome. I didn't know what you were going to do to me when I said yes. <laughs> he said, I want it, man. We had to jump up and go to work, and I didn't, didn't get to pray with him because he worked a different tr engine than I did. But I thought, man alive, God, there's a guy I never witnessed to because of his reputation, because of, well, I was just afraid of him. Yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That person you think is least likely to want to hear what you have to say is just the right jerk for justification. <laughs> justification isn't for the just. Justification is for jerks. That's good. That's good. Justification is for jerks, like many of us were. He's not talking about somebody who died for the, for the, for the, right, the righteous. He says God justifies the ungodly. Amen. God who justified Romans, Romans chapter 4. It's amazing. Let's just turn there. Romans chapter 4 and verses 4, th verse 3, 4 and 5. Let's put those up. Well, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Re next. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Read on. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. I don't believe on a God who justifies the godly. I believe on the God who justifies the ungodly. Because if it justifies the godly, you can't call it grace. You call it getting paid for what you did. And when it justifies the ungodly, who simply believe they're justified... That's what we call grace. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. And number three is found in verse 10. Let's turn to verse 10. For if when we were enemies, enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. What that means is, Victory for villains. We were his enemy. We were the enemy of God. You were God's enemy. Don't say you weren't. Don't sit there and say you weren't with bacon on your breath. I have bacon on my breath right now. I brush my teeth, but it's stronger than toothpaste. Amen. Villains. Genesis 3.17 says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground for your sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. Wow. This great villain called Adam, our great, 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 great grandfather. We are all closely related. 
we're all very much kinfolk because of this dude. And he was a villain. And God had to bring a curse on the earth. He never cursed man, but he did curse the ground which he tilled. Which is a direct attack on Adam's ability to make a living. Did you notice that? A direct attack on his ability to make a living. The curse of poverty is a manifestation of the curse on the ground. The curse on the ground is manifested in poverty. And poverty is rampant worldwide. Yes, it is. Rampant worldwide. Some of you have escaped poverty. If you're an American, you pretty much escaped poverty. You think you haven't because you've got bills to pay. But all you got to do is drive around the cities of America and see the beggars. Any country that has fat beggars has escaped poverty. Come on. Our beggars on the streets are fatter than I am. Doing pretty good. The only mention of a crown in the Gospels is a crown of thorns. I'm going to try to tie something together for you you've never heard me say. The only mention of a crown in the Gospels is a crown of thorns. And I notice this. Verse 19 of Genesis 3, he says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground. The sweat of your face. Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. Would you put that up there for me, please? Luke 22, 44. I don't have it in my notes. I need you to put it up on the board. Luke 22:44 says, "Come on, Luke." <laughs> that's all it takes. If that's all it takes, I'm going to fire the guy in the booth. Right there. <laughs> just kidding, Israel. Just kidding. And being in agony, he Jesus prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Most theologians, most interpreters, most historians believe that this is a condition called hematidrosis that Jesus was, in, Jesus was experiencing at the moment. It doesn't say that his sweat was like blood. It was indicating that his sweat was, his sweat was bloody. It was red. And Matthew 27, 29, and 30, it says they plaited a crown of thorns and put it up on his head. You don't have to turn there. Plaited a crown of thorns and put it up on his head, which went across his brow. He's sweating so you don't have to sweat. Everything he did, his blood was in his sweat to redeem you from that curse. Ooh, that's good right there. Victory for villains, those who were his enemies. 
Jesus wore a crown of thorns that you might wear a different crown. Let's see the kind of crowns we're supposed to be wearing in this victory we have. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says you get an incorruptible crown. Philippians 4.1 says a crown of converts. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, a crown of rejoicing. 2 Timothy 4.8, a crown of righteousness. James 1.12 says a crown of life. And I like this last one. 1 Peter 5.4 says a crown of glory. Now hang on. So I'm just going to try to tie something together for you. I would like you to put Haggai chapter 2, verses 7, 8, and 9 up there for me. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. This is a direct prophetic utterance of Messiah coming. And when Jesus comes, he's called the desire of nations. And I will fill this temple with glory. Everybody say glory. glory. That latter temple, which you now are, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus came, he sent his spirit to fill you and call you now his temple. You understand this? Look at this. This temple is filled with glory, says the Lord God. Now listen. I've seen all of you. I've seen you on your best days. And this is a good day. You're in church on a good day. <laughs> Praise and worship was amazing today. And I felt the Spirit of God. I saw you moving. Amen. I saw you being obnoxious to the people next to you. I mean, you were really getting after it. <laughs> but you weren't glowing. I didn't see anybody glorying. That's what glow means. I didn't see any Shekinah glory this morning. Not that we couldn't. Not that we couldn't. I said, not that we couldn't. But I didn't see it here this morning. I want you to read the next verse. Let's take this in context. What he says after he says glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Read the next verse. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. What in the world is he calling glory? He says Glory. Gold and silver, glory. What is he calling glory? If you know anything about scriptural interpretation by context, what is he calling glory here? Gold and silver. I didn't write it. I'm just pointing it out to you that it's there. And he's talking directly about the church. It is the will of God for you to rise above poverty and be blessed and have the victory of a villain. For you to be blessed. I speak a blessing of prosperity over you today. It is the will of God for you to rise above poverty and live in prosperity under the power of the blood of Jesus shed for you. He took that curse. He bled that sweat so you could live in, uh, above it all, so you could live in blessings and prosperity. He wants you to understand all he's paid for you to have. You are the temple of the living God. I've got to tell you something. Something else I want to show you. The resurrection says you can trade, and you can trade up. How many of you have ever inadvertently, probably, traded down? I saw three people that are divorced raise their hands. I'm just kidding. How many, how many of you really, not talking about your wife, 
Uh, how many of you have, have inadvertently traded down? Let me see your hands. I have, I've done it one time. It made me so mad. I traded an Audi for a Mercury. A newer Mercury, but not near the car. The resurrection says you can trade up. You can trade ashes for anointing. I'm going to take you from A to Z. Stay with me. You can trade ashes for anointing. You can trade brokenness for blessing. And when you, when you, when you uh, hear one that, that touches you, say amen. You can trade condemnation for comfort. You can trade disaster for deliverance. You can trade exhaustion for energy. You can trade fear, for everything, the fear of everything for faith in God. You can trade grief for grace. Hatred for healing. You can trade the impossible for the immeasurable. In short, you can trade junk for joy. The resurrection says you can trade up. You can trade their keys to nothing for the keys to the kingdom. You can trade lousy living for liberty. You can trade misery for miracles. You can trade narrowness for, narrowness for the nations. You can trade oppression for opportunity. The resurrection says you can trade up from poverty to prosperity, from your quandary to quietness. You can trade up from religion to righteousness, from stumbling to stability, from troubles to triumph. You can trade up from ugliness to usefulness, from violence to virtue, from worries to wisdom, from excommunication to extraordinary living. In trade with God, you get youthfulness for yuckiness. You get his Zoe for your zero. Amen. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, I'm trading up. God bless you.